Now, as you know, we're working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is Paul's letter of encouragement to the young church started in Thessalonica only a few months before this letter. So a quick recap, because we're a bit of the way in. So we started, as you may remember, with Paul commending them on their conversion. The gospel had an immediate and a sudden impact on them. And then we learned about Paul guiding them in their ministry. Next, we learned about Paul speaking about their growth through their sanctification. And last week, we saw Paul addressing the Thessalonians who had a misunderstanding regarding Christ's return. And in a moment, Nick will be sharing about how Paul speaks of when the day of the Lord comes, as he started to indicate in his children's talk this morning. And it will come on to that in a moment. But as a prelude to that, uh, Nick's asked me to read um, from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 13, verses 14 to 13, as a prelude to his reading in 1 Thessalonians. And these verses in Isaiah are about God's judgment on Babylon. And uh, as I say, it's verses 4 to 13. And they say this, and this is actually entitled When the Lord Comes. Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of a great multitude. No? Okay, sorry. I was getting a different reading on me. Okay, verse 4. Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and his weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. So it's a prophecy of Isaiah, and it comes uh, as a, a prophecy, I think, if I remember rightly, just check, on Babylon, that's right. But it sounds like much more than that, doesn't it? Uh, a terrible day, uh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's um, wrath. 
And actually, you'll find a number of those features in that Isaiah passage come through in New Testament passages about the day, day of the Lord in uh, you know, Mark 13, Matthew 24. Uh, you'll find a lot of those features coming through about uh, the, the signs in the heavens. Um, but we're going to pick up 1 Thessalonians. Um, page 1188 and what Paul is talking about here is this is this same thing it is the the day of the Lord Uh, we know that from the context we what we read last time but our verses for this for this week are just these they're verses 1 to 11 now brothers and sisters about times and dates we do not need to write to you For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. See, he's picking up that labor pain um, image from Isaiah. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So here's the question. How do you stop something that could happen at any time from taking you by surprise? It's the same question uh, we asked the kids earlier on. So your car breaks down, your freezer packs up, um, you lose your job. How do you stop something um, that could be a surprise, not being a nasty surprise? You buy insurance. That's what you do. You buy breakdown cover for your car, you take freezer contents covers, little option on your house insurance maybe. You get mortgage payment protection insurance to cover you from the, from the nasty surprises. So insurance means a small, when I say small, maybe not so small, regular payment, and it covers you against some catastrophic financial liability. If it's car insurance, it, it um, covers you against the cost of your car. But maybe there's some third-party insurance there as well. It costs you, it, it um, indemnifies you against the cost of rebuilding somebody's life. Should you hit them with your car, your building cover, it covers you against um, the cost of your house burning down and having to be completely rebuilt. And when you've taken out insurance, what do you do? You forget about it. And for most of the time, that's kind of what insurance is for. And so as Christians, maybe we're tempted into thinking we can take out second coming insurance cover. I can take out a kind of insurance cover against Jesus' return. I could turn up at church a couple of times a month, maybe home group, here and there. 
Um, but actually, then I can forget about Jesus' return. I've taken out the insurance. Well, if that's you, or if you know people who are tempted to think that way, then I don't think, can I say, that your cover is adequate. And you know what they say in the small print on insur- in all insurance policies. If we haven't specified this correctly, basically, they say, you're not covered. You're not covered. And can I say, if, if you try and take out second coming insurance, I don't think you're covered. Let's have a look at the biblical way of being ready for the surprise so it's not a surprise. So in the first couple of verses, Jesus says, Brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So first thing, how do you, how do you be ready? First thing is be clear and confident about the events that are coming. And it's very simple. Jesus is going to return. Bodily. Jesus lived bodily and he rose bodily. You believe that, don't you? That Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Then why should it be a shock that he's bodily going to return or seem outlandish or seem harder to believe? Jesus will bodily return. He will come again. It will take the majority of people by surprise. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. So I think, can Jesus return again at any moment? Well, in the Bible, there are certain, there are certain events that would seem to be predicted to precede Jesus' return. They are the preaching of gospels to all nations, a great tribulation, a time of great tribulation. In other words, a time of great trouble in the world. False prophets working signs and wonders. Signs in the sky coming of the man of lawlessness, uh, coming of uh, somebody who is uh, the epitome of antichrist and the salvation of many Jews. <coughs> and we have a decision to make. Are these signs, are, are those things fulfilled? And if you say, no, definitely not, then Christ can't come yet because it would seem from the scriptures that they need to be fulfilled first. Or you could say, yes, actually, they've all been fulfilled in some kind of way, in which case Christ can return at any time. I think I would take the view that they could happen in short order. So as the gospel being preached to all nations, well, how could we say it's not, actually? With the internet and with radio technology, it's quite possible the gospel is already preached to all nations. A time of great tribulation, that could happen in a moment. False prophets working signs and wonders, well, that could be something that's already happened. Or again, it could happen in a moment. Signs in the sky. We would have to be very sure that that's not figurative language of just troubles among the nations. But again, that could happen uh, in very short order. The coming of the man of lawlessness. He's described in two Thessalonians. So just give you a sneak preview. Mark will preach at the end of half term and then we'll do three sermons on two Thessalonians. So we'll nail down some of this end, end time stuff in a bit more detail. And the salvation of many Jews. But that's a very difficult passage to understand. Um, where that comes from. And it could be that um, at the same time that God decides he's reached everybody who isn't a Jew, he's, he decides he's reached all, the full number of Jews that he's going to reach. It's a very dangerous thing, in other words, to say that Jesus could not return at any time. You'd have to be very persuaded of that. Um, and I would suggest then that we, you take 
the opposite view, that these signs are fulfilled or could be fulfilled very quickly. And so in that case, Jesus could then return at any, at any point. So Jesus will return. It's going to take the majority of people by surprise. But I think the majority here are people who are unbelievers. But also, I guess, well, as a moment, we might see they're sleepy believers. And for the majority, it will mean destruction. Destruction will come upon them suddenly. In other words, a world of pain. And I would love to tell you, I'd love to be able to say that for those who, who don't know Christ at that point, they're just dist- destroyed and, and wiped out. And they're gone and they've just died. And their souls are gone. But I don't think that's what the Bible says. And if we turned over the page into 2 Thessalonians, you, you'll see that Paul says they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. It's a horrible thought. You see, the advantage of labour pains is that you know they're going to be over and you're going to have a no, you know you're going to have a child at the end. Um, everlasting disruption is going to be like labour pains that never stop for the rest of eternity. It's a horrible thought. Jesus is going to return. He's going to take the majority by surprise. Um, for them, it will mean everlasting destruction. And when he comes, there is no, there is no escape. That's what the text says. They will not escape and there is no second chance. Don't believe in purgatory or, or, or limbo. Just heaven and hell. So the first way to be prepared is to be clear in your minds, clear and confident about what you believe. You have to resolve this in your own minds. So what I want to do today is just encourage you not to be an agnostic. Not to go forward in your Christian life of saying, well, I just don't know. You're not going to be ready for Christ's return by taking the view of, well, I just don't know. We're not going to go into more detail about that, but, I, but um, if you're coming to Illuminate, um, doing that kind of training for, for leaders, it's in the Bible Doctrine book, it's chapter 31, go home, read it. Look at the options. And we'll talk about it some more. There are books around the church, but I don't know where they've gone. I uh, couldn't find them. So I will try and, and, and dig them out. And if not, we'll, we'll order more. But I would like you to be clear about this. Because if you're not clear, we're never going to be ready. That's the first thing. Second thing is to be consistent. So be, be clear about the events. The other thing, the second thing Paul says is be consistent with your identity so Paul says, but you, so you're not this majority to be taken by surprise, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who drunk get drunk at night. So the second way to be ready is to be consistent with our identity it's for, let's uh, follow Paul's picture through. He has this picture of breaking and entering in the night. Though I think actually we, we might have to say that this has changed uh, in our country, but certainly in Paul's time, a burglar came at night. Burglar came at night so he couldn't be seen coming and going, and because the owner of the house is asleep. It's sad to say that the burglars in this day are brazen and they come when you're out. But Paul's picture is, uh, is, is of his time. Uh, a burglar would come in the dark, so he couldn't be seen when they were asleep. 
And he says, when the burglar comes, the burglar doesn't surprise you in the day. If you're in in the day, the burglar doesn't surprise you because you're there. Surprises happen at night because it's dark and because you're asleep. And he says, you can, Christian, then, can decide by your behavior whether it is daytime or whether it is night. He says, you can decide whether it's day or night. As, as Christians, he says, by nature, you are children of the light. You are children of the, the day. Daytime, the light of Christ, uh, is your natural habitat. And so Paul says, we're not of the dark. He uses just one picture from the nighttime economy, that of getting drunk. But I think it's a metaphor for, or, or it's one instance of non-Christian behavior that stands for all the behavior of the dark. And he doesn't go into detail, so I'm not going to do so either. But you, Christian, you are, you are a child of the light and of the day, so you can be, you can be ready for Christ to return by acting like it, acting like children of the day, doing daytime type behavior, not nighttime type behavior, drunkenness and everything that goes with it. And I think there are two aspects, briefly, um, two aspects of daytime behavior. Nighttime behavior is if you feel a passion, you indulge it. Whatever you, your body and your mind throw up, you, you just indulge it um, without thinking. So daytime behavior is, is not simply doing what feels best to your body. You know the kind of thing your body wants to do. It wants to eat, drink, and be merry. Um, and daytime behavior is for you to draw a line. The other, kind, the other um, thing Paul says about daytime behavior is not like the others. Not like the others. So there's two diagnoses there of kind of Christian behavior. If you're just like everybody else, then actually you're living nighttime behavior. If you're not drawing lines somewhere in, in your Christian life, then you're living nighttime behavior and, and not daytime behavior. So if you feel that your Christian life is in a bit of a fog and you're not seeing God clearly, it's probably because you're trying to live a mixture of daytime and nighttime behavior. And you're living in the twilight and you're not really seeing anything, anything clearly. If you live partly in the dark, partly in the light, you don't see the Lord as clearly as you might do. So I kind of really... Silly but not silly example. So how many people, how many people listen to radio in the car? Um, are there any kind of magic radio fans in here? It's kind of like just um, magic or smooth, depending on my mood. That's what it is um, in the car. Um, do you ever turn it off or change, change channels on it because of the song that you're hearing? It's a good question. Okay, so everything, you know, 95%, 98% of songs on the radio, they're about about love and they're about sex. Um, And that is because uh, in the nighttime economy, 
um, you know, your, your, highest, um, your highest peak, your, your greatest ambition um, is to get off with somebody. Um, and most of the songs are about that. So, so my standard for songs is, um, I'm not holding myself up as a great example. I will come back to hypocrisy later in the sermon. But, but my standard for the song is, could you sing this song about a couple in a happy, committed marriage? Because that's a daytime standard or not. So I'm going to completely, hopefully, well, no, not hopefully, I'm going to completely des- destroy your, your enjoyment of magic radio now. Um, what, what songs would, would cause you to, would cause you to f- flip over? I'll give you a few. Betty Davis Eyes, do you remember that? Great song, vile lyrics. I, t- I turn over. Um, I don't listen to it. You know, Get Lucky, who was that? I can't remember whether it was... Um, I stay up all night to get lucky. That's just, that's just foul, isn't it? So it changed channel. Um, Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, what's that one about September? I remembered it this morning and I've forgotten it again. That's... Um, oh, What a Night. Great song. He didn't even know her name. It's about a one-night stand... We didn't even know her name. Do you turn that off? Or, or do you listen? Seems really, really trivial, doesn't it? But if you're not drawing any lines at all anywhere, then you're living nighttime behavior and you're not living daytime behavior. You see, actually, on a little tiny memory stick, I have, all my, I have all, everything that was on my computer about five years ago, is on, a, is on a kind of tiny little memory stick. Um, and that includes the whole of the Bible. So I could choose not to listen to magic radio at all. Um, and if I'm on a long journey, get through a book of the Bible. So this is not so much about where do you draw the line. It's the question of are you drawing any lines at all? If you're not conscious of drawing any lines at all, then chances are you are like everybody else. And Paul says you're not to be like everybody else because they are doing nighttime um, behavior. Be consistent. You're a child of the light. So it sounds really trivial, doesn't it? it sounds like a trivial example, and maybe it's not the biggest deal. It, you know, maybe there are much bigger deals for you but you are a child of the light of the day. So the first thing is to be clear about uh, the future that Christ has. The second thing is to be consistent with your identity as a child of the light. And the third thing to do is to be covered by God's armor. Don't be covered by second coming insurance, be covered by God's armor. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation. As a helmet, Faith, hope, and love, he says, make up our armor. Notice that we, where do we go for God's armor? Most of the time we go to Ephesians 6. Notice that these are different. And the first thing you learn from that is don't get too hung up about what each piece of the armor is, either here or in Ephesians 6. But faith, hope, and love, you take them, you take them up, you put them on, and they protect you. They protect you from the surprise. They protect you from destruction um, when the Lord comes again. Faith is the opposite of doubt. Faith is getting up in the morning and saying, I'm going to trust 
what the Lord says in his word about me and about the world around me. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to say I'm the child of God today. And I'm going to say it is God's world today. And I'm going to say I'm going to be like Jesus today. So faith is not doubt. Love is treating others as God has treated, has treated you. God has shown you masses of grace, fellow sinner. So when you start the day, you're going to say, I'm going to love the unlovable today because God loves me and I was unlovable. I'm going to practice and grace and forgiveness um, to those around me today. And that needs to come down to your conversation. I'm going to say no more about that. Um, Hope is confidence in, in what is unseen and is yet to come. So when you start today, you're going to say, I'm going to live today in the light of eternity. So at one level, I'm going to be happy because I know where I'm going. I'm going to be generous because I can't take what I've got with me, etc., etc. It's the same point that Paul's made about being children of the day and the light, but, it's, but by a different name, put positively rather than negatively. When you, when you step out in the morning, you put on faith and hope and love, then you, you're protected. But armour is useless until it is put on. Until it is put on. So how many Christians are walking around a battlefield without their armour on, and then they wonder why the spiritual lifeblood is draining out of them. Well, it's because they've not got their armour on and they're just, they're draining blood out of multiple wounds because they didn't put the armour on. Fourthly, remember that you had chosen. So you're clear about the events, consistent with our behaviour, consistent with our identity, rather, um, covered by the armour, um, Chosen and cross-centered. Fourth way, just remember that, that you are chosen um, and Christ died for you. Powerful experience of a Christian is that you saw a sign that said all who, all who choose may enter. All who choose may come and receive God's grace. All who choose may come um, and be freely forgiven uh, because of Christ's death on a cross. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but, but have eternal life. And that is an offer. It is open to you today. Um, but the experience of a Christian is that once you've entered through the gate, you look back and you realize that actually the Lord had stuck his arm through the entrance and he pulled you in. And you realize that you wouldn't have chosen unless he reached out and started pulling you. And yet, it was still a real choice that you made. And Paul uses this word, you see, appoint. God did not appoint us to suffer, but he appointed us to receive salvation. And the word appointed, it means kind of set. Paul uses this word that he was appointed as an apostle. And he says Jesus was appointed as a light to the Gentiles. And in Hebrews, it says Jesus is appointed heir of all things. And so you were appointed by God to receive salvation. What a gift. What great grace that is. You weren't appointed to suffer wrath. And so there's this amazing truth that Jesus died for us. 
This is probably Paul's second letter. Galatians is probably the first. This is Paul's second letter. It's the second earliest writing in the New Testament. It's intriguing then, isn't it, that he gives so much time to the second coming and so little time to the cross. But it is here, and here it is. He died for us. He died for us. And isn't it a funny thing in the Christian life that you something you know so clearly and so true and you can read it again and then it kind of just suddenly comes with a oomph and it, and it hits you in your gut. It did for me in the week and I read it again. He died. Jesus died for me. Jesus bodily. Jesus came, didn't he? God the Son became human, took on a body, went to a cross. Bodily came, bodily lived, bodily died. Real blood, real pain for me, and then real resurrection. What an amazing thing. If we're going to be ready, we just remember the grace that we've been shown, been appointed, and the price that's been paid. Final thing, final C to be ready is we need to be courage giving one to another. Just need to be encouraging one another. Paul's final word uh, on this subject in this book is therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And he said this before, he said at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore encourage one another's with these, encourage one another with these words. So that means you now... Paul has just given you all a Bible ministry. Okay? He's given you all a responsibility, without exception. Um, go and encourage one another. Go and encourage someone this week with these words. Okay? So that takes a bit more effort than you might think. Okay? So I would say resolve this. Resolve, do this for one person this week. Okay? So what do you have to do? You have to think of a person. Maybe you want to think about somebody you don't really know very much, but you need to think about what do they need? What do you think they need? And you can ask God, what do they need? And when I'm writing the birthday cards, because I don't, I don't, some of the kids I know better than others, I ask the Lord, just, just try to think of a word that I think applies to them. Um, and then I go into my kind of Bible um, software and look up all the verses with that word in there. Um, and see if there's a word that I think fits. And sometimes it's because I think, oh, that fits, and that fits their character, and that fits their situation. And sometimes I go to the list, and I think, I have, a, I have, a, have an inkling, I have a feeling um, that that verse applies, even though I don't know whether it applies or not. And so you can do this in encouragement. Take a person, prayerfully, um, find a word. In other words, a Bible text. Write them a card. Or ring him up, say, just want to encourage you. Here's a verse I was thinking about when I thought of you. Or you write it down in the card. Here's a verse just kind of, um, I was thinking of you. I wanted to encourage you. And we all get stronger. We all get more ready in the process. To sum up. We're not lazy consumer Christians who have taken out insurance for everything and are now sitting back um, smug and complacent and inactive. We are children of the light 
and children of the day. We are people that the Lord has chosen. We are people covered by the blood of Christ. So we walk in the light, so we're not surprised. We know we're chosen, so we're confident that we'll be accepted on that day, and we are bought with a price, and we know that the Lord will finish what he started. So I want to pray, but I want to read you, again, as I'm coming to, coming to, to just sort of um, do a, a review, a read-through on a Sunday morning and think, what, what is the Lord saying? And I thought, is there a text, Lord, kind of like, you know, you want to sum up with a punchy Bible text? Um, and I read this, and I think this is kind of applies to me, and this is what I mean by hypocrisy. Maybe it applies to you, but I think it applies primarily to Christian leaders. It's part of Matthew 24. Jesus talks about coming again. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'd be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to, myself, says to himself, my my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him. And at an hour he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces. Assign him with the place with the hypocrites. Where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I was looking for like a good encouraging verse to put at the end of the sermon. Um, but this hit me between the eyes. Here is somebody in the household. We all have responsibilities in the household of God. Um, leaders have particular responsibilities. And yet at the end, one of them has been found to be a play actor. Hypocrite is a word that comes from the theatre. It means a mask wearer. It means a play actor. And I heard the Lord lay that on my heart. Nick, as you preach about this, are you a, are you a play actor? Do you do what you say? But it comes to all of us too, doesn't it? What a dreadful thing if on that day we've shown that we were just mask wearers. We were just pretending. We were just play acting um, the Christian life. We weren't really sons and children of God who were walking in the light. So let's pray. Lord, we confess those moments where we've been play-acting. We've said one thing and we've done another. I include myself. And we ask for your mercy not to be play-actors, mask-wearers, hypocrites. We ask for Holy Spirit-given strength to be consistent with our identity as children of the light. Because we want to be ready, ready for your return. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.